Thanks for listening to the Inner Life Podcast. Be sure to join us every weekday at 11 a.m. Central on Relevant Radio or on the Relevant Radio app. Find your local Relevant Radio station at RelevantRadio.com or stream us live every day on the Relevant Radio app. It's time to set out on the pathway to healing and light. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. If you have questions or concerns about your faith journey, if you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. One heart at a time. Welcome to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Welcome to The Inner Life for this Thursday. Hi, I'm Josh Raymond, and hope your day is going well so far. And uh, glad to have you along for this hour of spiritual direction. This is our program about spiritual direction here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. What's your favorite kind of dessert? You probably went through a fair amount if you're like most people back uh, <laughs> during the holidays. What's your go-to? Do you like ice cream? Do you go for a, a slice of cake? Would you choose maybe a pastry or a donut over something else, a piece of pie? Would you rather have something that's loaded up with chocolate, maybe a chewy brownie, or is a hot, fresh cookie right out of the oven? Maybe is that your favorite dessert? I don't know if I have a favorite dessert. Cheesecake, it ranks pretty high on my list. Uh, pecan pie is another one that, especially as I've gotten older, I just find myself enjoying that more and more. My wife, Baylen, she loves chocolate, uh, especially chocolate cake. There's this French chocolate custard dessert called pot de creme. And I think my kids, many of them, would probably rank that up as one of their top choices. But I mentioned that warm cookie that just came out of the oven, you know, the kind. It's it's come out, it's been resting there on the tray or maybe on a cooling rack for five, six minutes, but it's still tender and soft inside. And if there are those chocolate chips in it, they're still melty, they're still gooey. Well, a number of years ago, our family, we spent a Saturday during the winter, probably, I, I think it was sometime mid-January, and we just made batch after batch of cookie dough, all different kinds, chocolate chip, of course, but we had a double chocolate chip cookie dough there, chocolate in the dough, as well as chocolate chips in it. We had oatmeal cookies, uh, peanut butter cookie dough. I think there were a couple others, but more than we could eat, obviously, in a day or two there, baking them. So we gave some away to friends and some to neighbors, but... Baylen, she also pulled out some freezer paper and she started rolling up packages of cookie dough and we froze a bunch of these rolls over the next several months. Every few weeks then, she would pull out one of those rolls of cookie dough, take a sharp knife and cut into the frozen dough, cutting them into cookie-sized pieces about, you know, bake up some fresh cookies for us. And it was really a nice, easy way to have dessert there, something that I, I didn't actually think cookies would have been on you know, a high list of mine, but man, right out of the oven, they are really good. It's also a really easy way to have a quick treat if you have guests stop by for a visit. Um, but we have this ongoing debate in our home when it comes to making cookie dough. Now, I'm a purist when it comes to most foods. I want the original thing, the classic. I, I usually am not a fan of any modifications or additions to recipes. I mentioned I, I like cheesecake, and I know there are all kinds of cheesecake out there, different variations. 
that you can purchase or you can make, some with strawberry or cherry or caramel or chocolate that ends up getting marbled through the batter. Uh, some have, you know, these different toppings. I just have never cared for those. I just want plain, ordinary cheesecake, pure and simple. Same with cookies. And that's why I said there's this kind of ongoing debate in our family. If Belen makes chocolate chip cookies, she might add in something else, like she'll chop up Andy's mints alongside the chocolate chips. Other times she might add some cinnamon or some nutmeg to the cookie dough. She loves adding in those extra ingredients. But I don't. I, it, I, it ruins the cookie for me. Don't change my chocolate chip cookie. It's perfect in its original uh, recipe state. I want that pure, classic taste. Now, purity. Of course, there are other areas where purity matters far more than a chocolate chip cookie. If you're drinking water, for instance, you want to know that it's pure. You don't want any contaminants in there. Jewelry, that's another one. If you're buying something made of gold, the closer you get to it being 24 carats, that purity, it makes the jewelry more valuable. And of course, this is our show about spiritual direction here on Relevant Radio. So what about internally, in each of us? Purity. Purity is not easy when it comes to our spiritual lives. Always having pure and good thoughts. Always having that heart that is pure. It sounds good in theory, right? Yeah, I'd like to be pure, but is it really attainable? Well, that's what we want to talk about during this hour of The Inner Life today, how we can cultivate that purity of heart in our lives. And joining us as our spiritual director for the hour, making his debut here on The Inner Life, uh, Father Vincent Druding is joining us today. He's a priest in the Archdiocese of New York, and he's the parochial vicar of Holy Cross Catholic Church in the Bronx. Uh, Father Vincent, welcome to the uh, show today. Glad to have you with us. Thank you, Josh. I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, and first of all, what what is a parochial vicar? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> essentially, it's the priest who assists the pastor. So the pastor is the one in charge, and there may be in some parishes one or two or three parochial vicars. Those are the assistant priests that are not in charge of the parish as pastor or as administrator, but rather serve in other capacities. Excellent. And, and since this is uh, your first time on the program, um, just to get to know you a little bit more, you're, you're there in the Archdiocese of New York. Are you a native to the New York area? I'm not. I was actually born in Arlington Heights, Illinois, and then I grew up in Carmel, Indiana, and um, went to school out there. Our Lady of Mount Carmel is my home parish in Carmel, Indiana, and then from there went to uh, Cathedral High School and Wabash College, worked a little in Indy, and then uh, spent uh, did a year of graduate school at University of Chicago, and then came out to New York to do a fellowship in public affairs. Um, and my first full day of work and my first assignment was actually nine eleven, and I was there. Oh on no! The street. Wow. Yeah, I, I was I was literally a couple blocks away when the second tower exploded over our heads and uh, changed my life. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Yeah. And that didn't scare you off. You're you're still there. Um, you well, didn't see that as a sign <laughs> to head back to the the Midwest. Now, you know, is actually a catalyst to to, uh, to take some next steps in, in, in God's call in my life. So I, I ended up down as a civilian volunteer from the from the 12th to the 17th, um, and really had two very powerful encounters with the Lord through two priests. One was blessing a dead firefighter in front of me in the middle of the night, and you know, just struck me as I meditated on that that you know, more important at the end of life than a doctor is a priest to help the soul, you know, prepare for heaven. And then um, and then a priest gave me communion on Sunday on the 17th. And we had been working, you know, pretty much nonstop, 
kind of running on adrenaline. Our lungs kind of caked with all the dust and stuff. And so I, I honestly didn't know if I was going to live or die and, and receive communion. And, and I sort of just passed out, took a nap, and I had a, kind of a powerful experience with the Lord, just a beautiful dream and 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 kind of like the light of Christ was, was in that dream and then woke up with peace. And at that point, there was no more um, hope of survivors. So they declared instead of uh, rescue became recovery. And so I left. And in those weeks and months afterward, you know, really uh, did some soul searching and wasn't doing so well. And a friend said, you should go talk to a priest. So I did. And I, I, I met with Father Arnie Panula from, he was, uh, at the time, he's, he's gone to God, but uh, he was uh, an Opus Dei priest and, and helped uh, in charge of the spiritual direction of the priests. And he was my first spiritual director out here in New York and really just was a phenomenal guide. I made a big confession to him and and I told him, Father, I'm tired of living for myself and just for like what I can get out of life, you know. And I thought when I was younger, God called me to be a priest, but I wasn't ready to kind of accept it. And I'm ready now. I either want to get married or become a priest. And he said, All right, why don't you just keep coming back? And then I started going to him to confession to him every couple of weeks, and it changed my life. And and God's call came pretty powerfully months later. Hmm. So you had that call from early on. Then it wasn't something that you hadn't thought about as a, a young person. That's right. Sure. Yeah. And actually, even in second grade, I was blessed to have phenomenal parish and good Catholic school and great priests and and a family, you know, that was really faith filled. And uh, and so I felt even in second grade, God, God was calling me to be a priest. And and that kind of that theme stayed with it. But you know, I went to high school and I wanted to have fun and enjoy, you know, my life as a young person and played sports and dated and all those things. And uh, and but it was always hanging around. It was always, you know, the Lord. He was always kind of uh, nudging and and that you know, some great experiences along the way, but I, I hadn't hit the point of maturity to, to say yes until uh, facing death on such a large scale kind of really leveled things for me and kind of helped me see that, wow, this life is short. You could die any day. If I would have died that day, I was not ready to meet Christ. And so it kind of really helped me focus on, you know, what what, what am I living for and, and what's the most important thing? And I honestly, in my prayers in that time of direction, I, I said, you know, there's nothing greater to do with your life than to help souls get to heaven. And um, and I knew I had to kind of go back and reconsider that, that call that I felt pretty strongly when I was young. Mm. Well, thanks for sharing that. I, I Just one more question uh, about now being in New York, having grown up in uh, the Chicago metro uh, Midwest area. Have you made a full conversion to New York style pizza or do you still miss the deep dish Chicago style? Well, I will forever be a Chicago Cubs fan, uh, though I left. Arlington Heights at six months. I grew up. My father was a diehard uh, Cubs fan, and I always appreciate the underdog. I think, I think Cubs fans make great Christians because they've had to uh, battle against overcoming the odds all their life and deal with the suffering, and, and I think overcome it and, and maintain joy in the midst of it. So I think that it's a good pedigree. When it comes to pizza, um, I gotta say, I, I gotta say, I, I, I'm, I'm really neutral. Uh, I like pizza. Period. You know, I'm, uh, you'll you'll, you'll take any kind that's set in front of you. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty much pretty much my style with pizza. Yeah. Excellent. Well, Father, uh, we want to talk about purity of heart today, uh, as I mentioned in the opening. And when my producer Nick had originally been in touch with you, and you'd suggested this topic, the first thing that came to my mind was the line in the Beatitudes where Jesus says, "Blessed are the pure of heart, or the clean of heart." Depends on you know what translation you're reading for they shall see God. So when we hear that phrase, pure of heart, what does that mean for us? Where should we start kind of trying to understand purity of heart? Oh, thanks. Great. You know, <clears throat> so that, that beatitude um, from Matthew 5, 8, 
really is kind of, uh, I would say, in a sense, kind of possessed me <laughs> over in, in recent years in the priesthood. Um, it really, for me, is kind of like a, um, a core principle of the spiritual life. I, I see it as absolutely essential for anybody who desires to live a life in the Spirit or a life of union or communion or intimacy with Christ. I think it's a, an essential condition. And what I like about it, it's, it's really simple. It's not complicated. It's a, it's a simple spirituality. It's not easy to to achieve or to live. I mean, it requires, you know, great discipline and great desire and and much grace. But if if a person like if if they need an entry point into the spiritual life, I find it uh, a, a very simple way to consider how to unite to Christ. And I see it this way. You know, I've been fascinated by that for for lots of reasons. But blessed are the pure for they shall see God. And and I think I would start there with what does it mean to see God, and I would ask, you know, isn't that what every heart longs for? I think, I think there's, a, there's a deep desire that's just natural, planted in the human heart, to, to want to see love. God is love, and to, and to see God. And we're made for that. We, we believe, you know, I mean, if we, by implication, I, probably it's worth saying that to see God is also implies that, that we would be seen by God, you know, and, and be known and loved. And I think that's, that's implied in that. Uh, but, you know, we, if we follow Aquinas, you know, the beatific vision is the place where the intellect and will can finally rest because it can behold it's what is longing for, right? The, the fullness of truth and the fullness of goodness. So we only can rest finally in the beatific vision at St. Augustine. Our hearts are restless, Lord, until they rest in you. And so I think it's sort of like at the center of, of the soul, this desire to see and have communion with the one with whom we're in love. A couple of comparisons. My little niece, Gracie, when she was a little girl, uh, her dad's a wonderful guy. His name's Jeff. And, and her, you know, Jeff loves his, his girls and, and his son, and, and they loved him. And, and they knew they were loved by him. And so when Jeff would come home for work, if little Gracie was running around, just hearing the door open and seeing him, she would just like bolt, like run with her arms open, Daddy! And then he would kneel down and just give her a big embrace. They'd both be smiling and they would hug. And it was just seeing him drew them together. You know, I mean, it, it, it sent her running to him. Or likewise, a couple who's engaged, you know, the, when they're in love and, and say he's away on a trip, he comes back. Just seeing him coming up the driveway, she runs out to him, they embrace. You know? And I think that that's, uh, should be the same sort of relationship that we see in our human relationships when there is true love and, and a desire, the vision, the, the, the glimpse of the one you love draws them together. And the same thing should happen between the soul and our Lord. There's a, a beautiful um, beautiful song by a group called Maverick City Music called <clears throat> When I Lock Eyes With You. You know, and, and it's a beautiful song about locking eyes for, between the Lord and the soul, you know, the lover and the beloved. And our souls, you know, desire to to lock eyes with the Lord. Now, when can that happen? I believe, and my experience, you know, in, in, in guiding souls and in, and in meditation and, and directing, um, that purity of heart is the condition in which the eyes of the soul can behold the presence and providence, the penetrating influence of, of our Lord, of God, in reality, in the everyday ordinary circumstances of interactions with with people and with interactions with creation and reality. And I think that's when the heart is pure, it's when we really begin to live you know, in him and with him and through him. And so that's, that's a little bit of what I, how I understand that beatitude. Sure. Yeah. Well, and as you're talking about that begin to live, uh, you know, as I was thinking about that and reflecting on that this morning for our conversation, it also brought to mind, 
near the end of the book of Revelation in the New Testament, uh, where, where John, he's writing about heaven. He sees the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven. And as he's describing it, he says, nothing unclean will enter it. No one who does evil, no one who tells lies, only those who are clean or pure can enter, only those who, whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so that, that kind of you know, came to my mind that if we have that purity of heart, not only do we get to experience it here and now, it's all, it also can be that affirmation of our hope of salvation of, you know, that, yeah, we don't want to be presumptuous, but when we have that, we can't wait to see, we can't wait to be back in the presence of God again, that that will just continue on into after this life. Beautiful. Precisely, precisely. And I think that's the that's it. That's it. I mean, you know, of course, you know, prayer is 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 sort of tasting heaven on the way to heaven, right? And 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 the same thing is true when the heart is pure. Which probably it's worth mentioning here at the at the beginning that um, a pure heart has a lot to do with the mind and the thoughts and custody of sure, the thought. sure. Uh, and we we use the word heart, but of course it, it implies you know the sort of the, the core of the of the person, and and so it's it's worth it to to actually seek, strive, hunger for that, because in a sense, you are glimpsing it when the heart is pure. You're able, in a sense, to have sort of a communion with that, with that beatitude in which we will live um, in eternity. And so you can actually, you know, sort of taste or touch that now. Not in its plenitude, of course, of course, we're embodied, you know, but, uh, but, but the soul, and, and then look at the lives of the saints. That, that was, it's sort of, it was sort of the keynote. That is, it, it's critical to the life of the Holy Spirit, for, for the fruits and gifts to become manifest, that the heart be pure. And so that entering into that divine communion in the beatific vision of heaven, um, it, it, the saints kind of got that now, in a sense. You know, they, they, or they strived for it, or they hungered for it, or they longed for it. And that's it. I mean, we're, we're not going to reach full perfection until, until, until we arrive at heaven, but, but certainly the interior life can, can have... The, the life of heaven living inside of it now. <laughs> and so, it, but right. it must be clean. It must be clean, and which, which means we have to really make, wage uh, a war against all that is evil. I mean, there must be a battle, manfully fight, against all that is not of the kingdom of God. And that is a daily battle struggle. We know that. that and and we, can't, we can't, like, be Pollyannish about it. We've got to be, like, really, like, living in reality. We can't have our heads in the cloud. And, and that, that's, but that's the good stuff. I mean, that's the struggle. That's, that's, that's the dying. That's the, pur- that's the humiliations. That's the purifications. And there's no purity without purification, just as there's no humility without humiliation. And so that, that's the hard work. But it's the, if someone submits themselves to that work, the fruits are far worth it. It's the treasure. It's the pearl of great price, the pure heart. Well, let's pick up on that idea of the purification, because that means there is that process we're going through. But let's also open up the phone lines for our listeners. Father, uh, if you're listening and you'd like to join the conversation, you can call in at 888-914-9149. As we're talking about that purity, that purity of heart that we want to strive for in our lives, what are ways that you have worked in your life to grow in purity? What helps you avoid those distractions, those temptations, the things that get in the way of 
remaining or growing in purity. And maybe you're struggling with remaining pure in your life right now, and you'd like some advice, you'd like to talk with Father Vincent, you can call in 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149, and we'll continue our conversation in just a moment. Stay with us. We'll be right back here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Today we'd like to thank Linda, who's listening in Nevada, for donating her Dodge. Join in with thousands of other listeners to donate your old vehicles by visiting relevantradio.com slash car. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm Josh Raymond, our spiritual director, Father Vincent Druding, a priest in the Archdiocese of New York, parochial vicar of Holy Cross Catholic Church in the Bronx, and today talking about being pure, purity of our hearts, and how has that happened in your life? What are some of the ways that you've been able to grow in that virtue of purity? What helps you to avoid those different areas that uh, might get in the way of you remaining pure? And maybe you are struggling with that right now, and you'd like to call in and speak with Father Vincent, get some advice, some encouragement, some help on your spiritual journey. You can call in 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. You can also email us, innerlife at relevantradio.com. Uh, Father Vincent, you talked about that purification that we will go through, that we need to go through, and that implies that there is something that has to be kind of cleaned up in us. And, you know, if we've grown up uh, in the church, uh, in any sort of kind of Christian uh, uh, upbringing, we know that, okay, there's sin in our life, that Christ has died, and we need that purification in our lives. But one of the things, you know, we were talking about that beatitude of having a pure heart, a clean heart. There are so many other places in Scripture where it talks about the heart, what the heart wants, what the heart desires. One of the places that really stands out in my mind is there's the psalm that David wrote right after the prophet Nathan had confronted him about his sin with Bathsheba, committing adultery, and then the killing of her husband. And David he ends up, after being confronted about this, he realizes his sin, he repents, and he, he writes this beautiful psalm, Psalm 51, and says things like, against you alone, God, have I sinned, wash away my guilt, cleanse me. And the line that really stands out is, create a clean heart in me, renew that steadfast spirit in me. And I, I think this, this really gives us that hope since there are so many great sins that have been committed right there by David, but David knows that God can be merciful. God is merciful. He can be restored to have that clean heart. He just has to be willing to take that step and say, I, I did wrong. I want to change. That repentance and that willing, that wanting to say, God, I don't want to do that anymore. I want that clean heart. I want that pure heart. Is that just simply the basic first step that all of us need to do on this road? That's great. Uh, <clears throat> sure, great example. Um, kind of his his prodigal son moment. No, I mean, 
the prodigal son, like David, it, it, it's beautiful, the English translation is he came to his senses, right? <laughs> he awoken to, to his misery and, and to the sin that he had just sort of indulged in. And David did the same. And then, and then he really repented, you know, and repent is to turn around and to come back, you know. And so David came back to Yahweh, came back to God and expressed it in that beautiful Psalm 51. And like the prodigal son comes, comes back home, you know, humbly repenting of what he, what he did. And, 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 they will, and, and Christ teaches us that, that we will be received with loving arms, with restoration, with, with rejoicing in heaven when we repent. So it is true that anybody who has fallen into sin, and it doesn't matter the depths of it, um, it, the devil could be really pernicious in convincing them that they're they're like a lost hope that there's no there's no return and those are those are just bald faced lies. Absolutely, Christ's entire atonement on the cross and His blood was precisely um, just like the leper in the gospel today that that an incurable wound humanly was cured by God and and the incurable wound of of our of our darkness of our sin um, can be cured in an instant in a heartfelt confession. And so absolutely essential for purity of heart is a disciplined dedication to the sacrament of confession. It, it's essential. You know, I tell parishioners, you know, at least once a month, you know, you, you should be confessing. For those that desire true sanctity and holiness or, or a deeper purification, to, should consider to go weekly or, or maybe every couple of weeks. And, and as we know, that used to be a kind of a, a more common practice in the church years ago. Um, and I think we've got to get back to that. I think it's, a, it's an underused grace and gift. Confession is so beautiful. I mean, it's so liberating, so healing. I, I love going to confession. I love it. I don't know about you or a listener out there, but I don't want anything in me that's not of God. I, like, I, I, really, I want only God flowing in me. I don't want me. I want Him. And I don't want it's not of Him inside of me. And so if, even if there's just a little stray left or a little stray right with a thought or a word or a deed, I don't want it. I don't want it. I want to get it out. And I think if, if a person can get that hunger, that desire to want to be just totally free, um, and there's a way to do it, and confession's right there. Now, and this is not talking about being scrupulous. It's just talking about hungering for union. And when there's a union with the Holy Spirit, it's so good. It's so beautiful that when, when we dampen, when we, when we grieve the Holy Spirit through sin, it hurts. It should hurt the sensitive good soul. And so we should clamor and strive and, and, and aim to get back there. And how do we do that? With, with true repentance the sacrament and the grace of confession, which is far more powerful than any sin. <laughs> what does uh, St. Faustina, Faustina right? Your sins are like a little drop in the ocean of my mercy. So, you know, as anybody who's seeking union, they should just lean on that promise of Christ, of his mercy, and have no fear and experience the liberation of heartfelt confession. And that's how they can, and, and be disciplined about it. And they can, they will achieve purity of heart. They, it will come. It will come. Mm. One of the other Psalms that, um, we were talking about Nick and I uh, before the program was Psalm 119, longest psalm in the <laughs> in the book of mm-hmm. Psalms. Mm-hmm. But it it again is another one of those that deals with the heart, and it says, "Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk by the law of the Lord, who seek Him with all their heart." Can you talk to us about seeking God with our whole heart? You know, I, I'm kind of going back to that image you gave the little girl running up to her father the, you know, um, husband or wife or, or, you know, somebody who's engaged, they haven't seen each other, they run up to each other, that just, I can't wait to see them again. Uh, what does seeking God with our whole heart, what does that mean for us day in and day out in our life? Sure, sure. Well, I mean, this gets down to the nitty-gritty, the disciplines of the spiritual life, which, you know, that's not an attractive word for most people. <laughs> we like the easy way out. You know, we like, we like comfort. 
and that's part of the human nature, right? A little wounded by by concupiscence, original sin, but but it's okay. Right, we got to confront right. that. We, we can accept that. So the. You know what I like to tell people? I used to play a lot of sports growing up, and you know I did a little coaching and stuff like that. Um, you know, a little teaching, and I, I would much rather have you know the average player or the C student who puts their whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, you know, not when making an idol out of sports or, or studies, but puts puts their heart into their studies, into their sport. You know, plays hard. I want that guy on my team rather than the guy who's got all the talent, but he loafs. You know, he's he, he's lazy. He only he only hustles when when he's got the limelight. Or, or, you know, she only really tries, you know, when like, you know, when, when she's going to get acknowledged, if she gets a good grade, those, I'd rather have the other guys on my team. They may not be as talented, but they're playing. I used to love Walter Payton, talked about growing up in Arlington Heights. I was also a Chicago Bears fan. And, and he was, for those listeners that grew up in the 80s or, you know, were, uh, at least watching 85 football. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So, uh, and, and what I loved about him as a kid and when I was, you know, playing sports as a kid was that every single play, whether he had the ball or not, he hustled. So if, he did, if, if they gave the, the ball to Matsui up the middle, Walter Payton would go out and, and take out a linebacker. You know, he's 5'8", five, five you know, 220. And he, and he would just – the guy played with his whole heart. Every time he had the ball, he would reach an extra yard. He would pop up and run back to the huddle. So, yeah, he broke the rushing record, you know, for career rushing, you know, until Barry Sanders broke his. But, but every play, he put his heart into it. And, he, like, if it wasn't on him, it didn't matter. He would lead the block. You know, he, he hustled. And so if you apply that analogy, not that we have to sort of, uh, we're going to will our way, like Pelagianism and to, to holiness, but, you know, Thomas Aquinas, they asked him, what do you have to do to be holy? And he says, you have to will it. You have to do it. <laughs> and so there is an aspect that absolutely we must do our part when we rely fully on grace. At the same time, we've got to commit ourselves. And I think that's the thing. If you don't desire a pure heart, you won't achieve it. It won't happen. It's not going to happen. It's like, say a guy's struggling with impurity, right? And and you know he might go to confession. You know, how many people go? They repeat the same same problem over and over and over again. Doesn't mean they shouldn't seek, keep trying. But I know guiding souls that there's a difference between someone who makes that decision. There's like a decision point. Like all right, I'm done. I'm done. And it doesn't it doesn't have to be just things of impurity of the flesh. It could be any kind of an addiction. Right? It could be television. It could be social media. It could be overuse of the phone. It could be you know like getting into a spat with, with a spouse and you're just like, you're tempted. Until somebody finally says, I'm done, like the attitude bottoms out, they're not ready. They're not ready for the real purification that will lead to freedom. Mm. And so and the goal is to get to that point. Well, and as you're talking about that, getting to that point of I'm done and, mm-hmm. you know, seeking God with your whole heart, it, it also, you know, the seeking part and I'm done and I want God to be everything for me. It also takes me back again to the Sermon on the Mount, just a little after Jesus had given that the Beatitudes that we talked about at the opening of the hour. He ends up then talking about letting go of the worries and anxieties about the things that we need, or maybe, you know, better said, the things we might think we need, Mm -hmm. that God in heaven knows what we need. Jesus says not to seek after those things, but rather we should seek after the kingdom of God. That should be the first thing we seek after. And then all those other things that we need, they'll be taken care of for us. And one of the things that it makes me think is that when we really focus on God, when we focus on seeking his kingdom, the things that he wants us to do in our life, all the things that then we thought we needed before, it's likely that we'll see a lot of those so-called needs. They're no longer the priorities. And that's where it's going to be all the easier to say, I'm done you know, if, if we say, you know, that's it, 
all I really need. It, 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 it also feeds into so many areas that help us spiritually. You mentioned, you know, it, it doesn't need to just be, you know, areas of purity and chastity. You mentioned television or, you know, social media, because that can help get rid of that clutter in our lives. If it can help us let go of attachments and, I think, it, you know, for any of us, it would be a work in progress. But I know in my life, some of those things that I would have seen as maybe being really important in my teens or my 20s, even in my 30s, they just don't seem nearly as important now. And it's easier to say, yeah, I really do want more of you, God, and less of those things. Amen. Amen. Well spoken. And I agree. As you're speaking, I recalled, you know, experience I had entering seminary. So I uh, I entered in, in 2004. Uh, before then, I, w- I was working in a magazine called First Things, a magazine with Father Richard John Newhouse at the time. And I worked there a couple years. And um, and as part of that job, I was an editorial assistant in a magazine. So you, you kind of have to stay on top of what's out there at the blog at the time. You know, technology wasn't as advanced as it is now, but a lot of blogs, a lot of articles, you know, like. And so I was constantly bringing in, like, nonstop, day in and day out for like two years. All the stuff that's out there, right? And and this is good stuff. I mean, it's, it, issues of you know theology, books, culture, science, um, but a lot of it. And so it, you're going to incur also a lot of noise and a lot of opinion makers and hearing about. And so when I when I left the magazine to, to enter seminary at St. Joseph's here in New York, uh, I realized. And also, you know, like in my free time, I listen to music, or I go to movies, whatever. You know, um, I had so much running in my head. That when I would go to pray in seminary to pray the breviary before the Blessed Sacrament in silence, like my mind was running, it was running, like I guess I was I was in a mode of of a lot of stimuli that we take in, right? Going back to custody of the mind, right? And it was so I realized like I have to go through a detox. So entering seminary was like it was like an intellectual detox, or you might say just like a detox on social media. And I decided like okay, no more mu- no more worldly music. I never really, from college, I kind of stopped watching TV for the most part, except for special occasions. So that wasn't as big of an issue, but more like, you know, all the sound, like the sound bites on the internet or, you know, all the, all the articles and, and maybe you might say in today's terms, like little videos and stuff. I just had to like detox. And I'm going to tell you, I did that for like a couple months and I just like literally tried to focus on like quiet, getting quieter. And then all of a sudden I opened up my breviary one day and it was like literally the words of scripture jumped off the page and like penetrated inside of my mind mm-hmm. and heart. And I could literally read and receive the word of God like with a quiet and with the stillness. And it was like a communion was happening. And I say that maybe going on a little extended in that example, because probably for many listeners that they might experience the same thing because we're just bombarded. Now with phones, and I mean, it's just so accessible. It's, it's nonstop sound bites and news and feeds and Instagram and, and videos and Twitter. You, you name it, right? I don't, I don't know what listeners might be in. But even if they're not into, if they're maybe a generation that's more still TV and radio, but if we don't turn that stuff off, forget about having purity of heart. Forget about having a, a quietness of mind, which are necessary for communion with the Holy Spirit and for the fruits and gifts to become manifest. So, you know, Scripture, you know, St. Paul says, bring every thought captive to Christ. So there's a lot of thoughts that, you know, and a lot of noise that comes to us that is not captive to Christ. So one of the principles of spiritual life is to really first strain out all that is not of God. St. Paul will say, put your minds on the heavenly realities, on all that is true and good and beautiful and pure and worthy of praise. 
think on these things, right? And so, and so it's, it's a habit of mind. And when the mind gets trained to think on that which is good and to immediately, and when I say immediately, I mean like, like, like immediately, like almost radically dismiss all that is not good. <laughs> so that could be anger, hatred, um, rancor, the seven capitals, whatever, whatever thoughts come in. I have a little, little technique I teach to, to those who come for direction or anybody. And, and it, it just goes like this. It's so simple. And it's a phrase which I, I often use and encourage others to repeat. When any thought comes in, right? A spontaneous thought is not a sin. We're not responsible for spontaneous thoughts. Mm-hmm, We're all going to sure. get crazy, crazy thoughts or spontaneous thoughts. But what we do with it determines whether we fall or whether we, or whether we, we, we are victorious in, in, in that sense of, you know, we allow grace to, to, to win. And so I, say, I tell people, you know, say, Jesus, I know this thought is not from you. And then let it run out of the mind like water off the duck's back. So when the na- if it's a demonic temptation, which can happen, right? It, may, it can be. So, you know, maybe the world, the flesh, the devil. If, if it's, you know, if, if a demon is, is putting into the imaginative faculty, you know, some image or some word that is disturbing of any kind, just, you know, the name of Jesus causes fear and flight to the enemy. So, Jesus, and then, I know this thought is not from you, acknowledges, I don't want this thought. It's not from God if it's not good. So what does that leave? Discernment of spirits, it leaves the enemy, right? And so so it's acknowledging God immediately, run, you know, turning the mind to God. And then we make an act of the will interiorly to not feel guilty for having had the spontaneous thought that's disturbing. A lot of people get trapped in that they, 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 they beat themselves up or they blame themselves for having some spontaneous bad thought. That's not their fault. That's not their fault. It's, it's, it, it could come from you know the sources of you know some some memory flash. It could be a demonic temptation. It could be just the world just at us with the noise or sound. So the minute that the moment that that comes in, Jesus knows thought is not from you. We make an act of the will to to not feel guilty about it, allow it to run off, and you know to say Hail Mary or Memorari or turn to the Lord and let it go. There's no sin, and and we're protected also from that sort of like self guilt that can kick in. When we kind of have these disturbing thoughts, and and I realized that just a quick quick story, and then I'll I'll stop. Which is, I was giving communion one time years ago at a, at a previous parish, and it was like as I was giving communion, I was having like judgmental thoughts of the people coming up for communion, and I was like, I don't want to, what is going on, you know. I was giving, in in this moment most most sacred, I was like judging their you know them for whatever their appearance or whatever their actions, and then afterward, as I was greeting people outside of mass, I realized I was like. I was not so present to the people coming out of mass. We always greet people after mass outside, and it's usually joyful, and you know, we, you know, we're, sure, we're greeting sure. or blessing. And I was like, I was stuck in myself, like why? Like I was upset interiorly at myself for having had judgmental thoughts as people receiving communion. And then mm-hmm. later, when I broke that down and I did my meditation, I was like, oh wait a minute, I didn't want those thoughts. They're not from God. That's the enemy. And I remembered the story of Padre Pio. Padre Pio sometimes during mass, the, the devil would literally throw disturbing thoughts in his imaginative faculty. To try to distract him from the Eucharist, and and as if that can happen to a saint, it can happen to any of us, right? I mean that that they, and those disturbing thoughts were not Padrepios, they're not God, so that leaves the enemy. So therefore, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna dismiss them, and I'm not gonna feel guilty for having whatever disturbing thought um, if I don't consent to it. If I don't consent to it, and that's the key. Mm-hmm. And so and and so for the listeners, and I, I guess I'm going on a little bit by myself to kind of give an example of how how I've guided souls, and 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 it's a way out of a trap of the enemy. So we don't get stuck on those disturbing things. And I, and I go on about this because the mind is so, it, the interior life is so sacred, and we and we need all the protection we can over it. And I believe that, um, and and I think I feel like that's a door to close in the enemy's face. 
Because what he can do, if he can't get us on the, on the disturbing thought, he can get us on the self-guilt. And so we're not present to the next person in front of me. I couldn't be joyful and loving to the person in front of me because I was stuck in myself. And God doesn't want us there. Love is, is out there. It's not inside. It's, in, in a sense, it's, it's, it's focusing on God and the other, not introspecting and beating myself, you know, like in, yeah. interior interest. Yeah. So that's a little technique that I found very helpful over the years for protecting the mind. Uh. No, I, I think that's such great advice. I'm so glad you shared that, Father. We're talking with Father Vincent Druding, a priest in the Archdiocese of New York, talking today about having that purity in our lives, purity of heart. And how has that happened in your life? How have you been able to grow in purity? What has helped you to make those strides in growing in purity? What helps you avoid those distractions, whether they are those thoughts that come in, the guilt that maybe you deal with, uh, the temptations that you face in your life? Uh, what has helped you to move past those so you can grow in purity? Or maybe you're really struggling with that right now, trying to remain pure in your life, and you'd like some advice, you can call in at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149, and we'll be back with your phone calls. Casey, you're up next right after the break here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us here on The Inner Life today as we're talking about purity in our lives, the pureness that we strive for in our hearts. And we're talking with our spiritual director, Father Vincent Druding. Today, you can call in and join the program at 888-914-9149. And Father, let's go to the phones. Casey is listening in Austin, Texas. Hi, Casey. Welcome to The Inner Life. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Father and Jeff. Um, it it means the world. Uh, I, I wanted to say that for me, uh, you know, I used to be in a punk band and my entire life was composed of unchristian habits and learning the rosary, which I just felt drawn to. And, and I couldn't say how, but I was drawn to it. And I started praying it uh, daily and sometimes many times a day and every everything started to fall away the the unchristian habits the the urge to drink the urge to smoke the urge to be judgmental and angry just decreased and decreased and so many of the things that that were so dominant in my life are not even there anymore uh, I, I place the rosary during times when I would normally have temptations or when I felt very upset. And just like uh, St. Padre Pio said, it's, it's a weapon. It, it keeps the devil away. And it, it's transformed my life. I would encourage anyone struggling with something, you, you can't just drop something. You have to put something in its place. The rosary is the greatest tool that I've, I've found in my life. Great, Casey. Oh, wonderful. Now, now we enter a topic, which is probably one of my favorite in the spiritual life to talk about, which is our Blessed Mother, the Immaculate One. Uh, in Spanish, we say the Purísima, uh, 
the, the most pure one. And so anybody who seeks liberation and life of grace and life of the Holy Spirit and the freedom of the children of God um, will find, as St. Louis de Montfort said, the quickest and, and, and easiest way to that sanctity is through Our Lady. And, of course, you've, you've spoken a great truth of the spiritual life, which is the power of the rosary. You know, those of us that work in healing and liberation ministry or exorcism, we often say that the three greatest weapons against Satan um, are the Eucharist, confession, and the rosary. You know, sh- closely behind that would be, you know, the Word of God and prayer, and then, a, you know, act of charity, and then you can go on from there, fasting and prayer. But, uh, but you've hit on uh, one of the, the centers of, of seeking a pure heart, which is imitating Our Lady. Um, so I, I was going to mention, actually, also in this, in this hour, that um, for those that haven't done it yet, of course, the, you know, the, the consecration to, the, to Jesus through Mary, you know, whether it's through St. Louis de Montfort or Father Michael Gately's 33 Days to Morning Glory or some other method, but I would say is a critical and essential for anybody sincerely seeking a pure heart. I would add to that, um, this last year, of course, was focused on St. Joseph and Father Donald Calway, that great book, Consecration of St. Joseph. So consecration to the two uh, of, of probably the purest hearts in the history, well, one, of course, after our Lord, Our Lady is the purest heart, and then after that, we believe, and tradition tells us, St. Joseph also. And so uh, the consecration to Jesus through them is powerful and I think wonderful. And of course, the rosary, as you mentioned, St. Padre Pio, um, as we say, she crushes the head of the enemy, and so we can find great refuge and strength in the rosary. Thank you for your comment. Yeah, Casey, glad you called in. Another thing that really struck me that Casey said, Father, is you can't just drop something. You can't just stop doing those things and give them up. You have to fill that up with something else. And you had brought up, you'd, you'd made reference to toward the end of St. Paul's letter to the Philippians where he talks about saying whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And I had heard years ago that somebody said, you know, if we fill up our thoughts, fill up our mind with the true, the good, the lovely, the honorable, all those things, there's not going to be any room left over for any of the bad things that, you know, we worry about. So if we just fill ourselves up with the good and keep meditating on those things, and I think that also goes back to just the real practical application you'd given right before the break of if that stray thought that we don't want comes into our mind. We can say, Jesus, I know I'm having this thought. It's not from you. I'm not going to feel guilty about it. I'm going to turn it over to you and just let it go. And that allows us to walk away with so much freedom Mm -hmm. and then to just refocus our mind and say, okay, that was there, but let me fill it up with something good or lovely or pure or beautiful or something that, that is good that I want to have there. Amen. Beautiful. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's, um, it, that, that move for me was like a game changer in the spiritual life. It's brought me so much peace. This was years ago. I kind of discovered that. I'm like, oh, and, and then it's interesting. The thoughts really did kind of drift away. You know, they might come back, you know, 30 minutes later, but then just drift every time. So, you, you know, I would repeat that throughout the day, you know, over and over again until it became a second nature habit of the mind. So it's like every thought was like batted away. And then eventually, if there's a spirit that's trying to attack, what they'll find is that if they get hit with Jesus every time, eventually they'll go away. They'll realize that door is closed. So actually now a virtue grows up in its place. So what was missing gets filled up. And to your point, and to Casey's point, 100% true, we think of our Lord who said, you know, when 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 uh, a 
the demons leave, they go and look at the arid places of the world and find nowhere to rest. They come back and they find the place swept clean. And my my understanding, the way I've always understood that, is that meaning like the soul that gets liberated, say from demonic elements or from a vice, if they don't replace that with virtue or the good, the true, the beautiful, the things worthy of praise, it will happen that they can come back and their situation can be worse than the first. So it's not good enough just to make the confession or just to make a renunciation prayer in the unbound style. You have to also then fill it back up with the, with the presence of the Holy Spirit, with the practice of the sacraments, with the practice of a life of virtue and a striving and the Word of God. And to your point, it's sort of the principle of, you know, that in physics, you know, two objects can occupy the same space at the same time. So if the mind is focused and it, and, is, and is singing praises all day long, what does St. Paul say? Praise ceaselessly. That's the goal. That's the goal. And, and some people are like, well, that's sure. impossible. Yeah. No, yeah, prayer is a disposition of heart. It's, it's a communion. You can walk down the hall and you can sing a praise song instead of worry about whatever the anxiety is. And if you do that, interestingly, you know, the gratitude and, and anxiety can't exist, coexist. So, so we fill our minds, our hearts, and, and you can live that way. Even as you're interacting with others, St. John Paul II would often, as he's speaking to somebody, he's praying for them in his heart. So, so when you when you when your heart is so disposed towards God and towards prayer and towards love, um, there isn't much room. It doesn't leave as much room for the enemy, and that, that's the admonition of St. Paul to pray ceaselessly. Okay, granted, mm-hmm. it takes a little while, and no, no one should despair of like, oh my goodness, that's too much. I gotta like, yes, you're gonna converse with your children and your spouse, and you gotta do your work, and all that's fine. But um, in those little free moments, in those little pauses of the day, we can turn to the Lord, whether it's through a song or through a spontaneous prayer or just a disposition of heart. And as we do that, we're making space for God. And the Holy Spirit loves that. He desires to dwell. Jesus says, if you follow my commandments, the Father and I will come and we'll make our home and you will have supper with you. Oh, how I wish the joy I have with my Father was of you and your joy would be complete. So it's, it's God's desire to dwell in us. Yeah. Uh, Father, we're down to just our last minute or two here, but if somebody's listening and they're looking for somebody as a role model, someone to help inspire them to follow in their footsteps, someone who is successful in achieving that purity of heart, is there a saint that you might direct us to? We've heard Padre Pio, St. Padre Pio mentioned a couple of times. Anybody else that you might recommend that we look at their life? Uh it's a it's a softball, and I could go through the litany. But I mean, you know, we we uh, we, we spoke about the Blessed Mother. She's the par excellence, the model of purity. Right. Look right. at Saint Joseph. You know, especially for men, I would I would encourage them to look to Saint Joseph. Um, but they, you know, uh, so I mean, the, those consecrations essential, I think. Um, but you know, I, I might also encourage um, somebody like Saint Philip Neri, who lived such a joyful life. Because I, I do believe joy. You know, I believe it is the presence, uh, the proof of the presence of God. And I think that's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Um, I might also, you know, I, I have a great devotion to St. Therese of Lisieux, of course, Little Flower. Um, you know, but also, I just, you know, maybe to, you know, I, if I could just offer a little word here, I, um, in the process of, with God's grace, helping to found a new community called the Franciscan Sisters of the Pure Heart. Um, and this is a fruit of my, my work with the youth here in the Bronx and uh, many youth who, who are struggling, in, in, especially in the area of identity or purity and and all the struggles that they carry. And so, well, like, Father, that, what yeah. I'm going to do is I'm going to ask Nick to get information from you. We'll put it on our Twitter account because we're down to just about 10 seconds here. And I'd like to ask you to offer all of our listeners a very quick blessing before we do you run out it. of time here. You got it. Sure. Through the intercession of the sorrowful and immaculate heart of Our Lady, St. Joseph, um, may the sacred heart of Jesus dwell in you. And may you receive the grace to hunger and desire a pure heart, all who are listening this day. May God bless you in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Amen. Father Vincent Druding, thank you so much for being with us. A pleasure to have you here on the program. Hope to talk with you again very soon in the future. And, uh, of course, stay tuned. We have Mass that's coming up next here, followed by The Faith Explained tomorrow. Uh, hope you'll be back with us here on The Inner Life. We're going to talk about marriage and annulments, something very misunderstood, and so we'll try and make sure that you know exactly what the Church teaching is on that here on Relevant Radio. See you tomorrow.